The Startup to Scale-Up Game Plan is brought to you by Alpina Search, Europe's premier talent search firm, dedicated to helping technology startups and scale-ups recruit high-impact executives. Now over to your host, Gary Riemann. Bastin Karweg is the group CEO at Echobot, a leading provider of sales intelligence and lead feeder, a best-in-class web visitor intelligence platform. And these two SaaS ventures recently merged to create a groundbreaking AI-driven sales intelligence and go-to-market platform. So Bastian, welcome to the Startup to Scale Up game plan. Hey Gary, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Let's start with that recent merger. So two successful SaaS ventures, each with around 10 million ARR, each out there raising growth funding, end up securing exits and, and merging with the backing of Great Hill, one of the world's largest PE firms. Tell me more about your two great businesses coming together and merging and forming an even better business. Yeah, it's an exciting time, to be honest. I mean, both businesses, Echobot and Leadfeeder, have been at it for quite some time. So I founded Echobot back in 2011, together with my co-founder, Janis, who will now be the CDO, the chief data officer in our combined group. And Pekka had um, his colleagues, Vicent and Herko, with him uh, when they founded Leadfeeder in Finland, in Helsinki, actually, uh, also roughly 10 years ago. And we both have built uh, tremendous businesses, interestingly, uh, very with di very different approaches. So while Leadfeeder is a very PLG, product-led, growth-driven, self-service web visitor intelligence tool, if you, if you put it, uh, Echobot is more on the sales-led side. So we have been chasing clients with our uh, growing sales teams and have um, putting these bigger deals into the pipeline. And uh, now what was interesting that we both were growing really fast. So about 70% last year, lead feeder like 50% last year. And we were approached in this like situation in the market by a lot of investing firms. And um, we both chose, interestingly enough, the same M&A uh, boutique firm. So GP Bohan to help us sift through the offers and, and go after the opportunities because we both thought that we could uh, achieve much more growth in this markets, in this sales and martech uh, SaaS space if we could raise um, a big round of funding. Obviously, the conditions were right last year. And then we ended up both pitching the same investor, which is great <laughs> partners. And they kind of like had this arranged marriage uh, idea where they <laughs> said, look, you both have such great businesses, you would be tremendous together. Why don't you meet, right? So this was actually in, in January, and I was skiing in the Alps with my, with my little kid. So he's four, he just learned skiing. And then one evening, uh, Greg of uh, Great Hill called me and said, hey, you really have to jump on this call with Pekka. And it was supposed to last like 15, 20 minutes. And we ended up like talking for two hours while I was in the Alps and he was in Helsinki. And we talked about all kinds of things, like about like how to build a business, what the cultures are like, like the starting phases, how we grew. And we found so many synergies. And honestly, we hit it off quite well from the get-go, so Pekka and myself, that we said, well, this is a really exciting opportunity. There is really, the sum is really bigger than its parts if we bring together the application and the 
identification tech that Leadfeeder has and the, the business data and contact data that Acrobot has. And this is when we brought the teams together and uh, in the end ended up, as you mentioned, uh, merging with a 180 billion investment of greater. Interesting to hear how well the two of you hit it off from the get-go. And that's, uh, <laughs> that 15-minute call that turned out to be two hours must have, been a, must have been a really interesting one. What's the timing? What's the thinking on streamlining the branding? Yeah, that's a very good question that we get asked a lot. So Leadfeeder has, as I mentioned, like over 8,000 clients on the PLG level. So a lot of people have installed a script to identify visitors, like companies that visit their website. And Ecobot has 1,500 uh, business, more mid-market enterprise clients that we serve. And obviously, we want to keep all that those clients around. And we are currently uh, unifying the applications so you can access all the tools from each side of the aisle basically through a unified platform. So this is like the big push that we want to do, like the building out this new go-to-market platform, as you have uh, rightly said in the beginning, then uh, encompasses like all the application. And frankly, we also want to do some M&A and bring even more applications that fit our go-to-market flywheel, basically, to bring it to the platform. And then also we will obviously uh, align behind one unified brand and one unified mission with a new branding around that platform. So we are currently working or we are looking into working with an agency, like a brand agency, who will help us uh, evolve from being like a singular use case application-driven product companies more towards a, a unified platform play, which is much more international and much uh, broader in their appearance. So it's a quite exciting exercise because... Like obviously, we will keep the the old brands around for some time, but we want to really align the teams and the the strategy and the vision under like one unified new brand. So um, it's it feels like a new beginning, so to speak. And this is quite exciting if you, after ten years of doing this, like get the chance to do it in a bigger form with a new team with like so much more resources, and then be able to formalize like a, a new identity around that. So that's quite exciting. Now, Leadfeed has always pursued a product-led growth strategy, whereas Echobot's go-to-market has always been more sales-led. So quite different philosophies on how to engage with the market. How are you bringing those two different approaches together in the combined entity? This is actually a very interesting question, because if you look at the most successful companies, the B2B SaaS companies in the market that are really winning, and they have mastered both sides of go-to-market approaches. So they bring in through a very broad top of the funnel, like a lot of interested parties and customers. Like if you think about like Notion, about Airtable, about Twilio, about Asana, Atlassian, all these companies that are very successful in the enterprise space, they have a very easy to approach product, right? And uh, they want to bring all those customers uh, very close to the value that they are getting from the get-go. And this is what we want to strive for to do as well. And Leadfeeder is excellent at doing this. Like if you put the script on your website after like two, three minutes, you have the first leads and you use like the time to pie, as some people put it, is really close. So you really see like the benefit straight away. But then obviously you want to grow those signups into more meaningful mid-market and enterprise level accounts. So you really need to find out the right 
ICP clients, so ideal customer profiles from those signups to filter down and then approach them uh, with a sales-led motion and tell them, look, uh, if you bring this more to the entire team and more to a, a, like a platform staple, then this is uh, can be so much more effective and efficient for you than this to, to re-brand re, um, your like entire go-to-market chain. And, and this is what we want to do. Like We want to explain and encourage people. I think of salespeople more like doctors. So they identify some pain that the customer has and then give a prescription and help them really get that solved. And they are not like pushing hard. And if you have demonstrated value through PLG in the, in the first place, this is actually quite good starting point to have those kinds of discussions. So I really feel that we exercise the most modern go-to-market approaches and the ones that are working for a lot of big corporations already. Now, if we project ahead to, say, 2025, what does the future look like for your combined business? And who knows, by then it could even be some additional entities that you'll have acquired and added onto the platforms. Very specific goal for the next two to Five years is to double twice. So we want to get uh, over 100 million in ARR. So this is our core ambition that we have put out. But then also we want to be the go-to platform for go-to-market needs in the European space. If you are a US customer, but you want to deal with European companies and clients, I feel like that this is a rare opportunity where you find with us like a platform that is born and raised basically in the European environment and has things like GDPR and data privacy written into their DNA already. And this is really how we run the business and how we establish like a very fair and modern go-to-market. So you are not like nagged at the dinner table on your cell phone by some kind of salesperson. So we really want to cater to like a, a very subtle, but also very efficient go-to-market approach for our clients as well. Um, I know we are selling data, but we are doing it in a, in a very um, delicate way so that uh, you have success, but you're not disrupting like your customer relationship. And, and I feel like if we can ex- execute on that vision, that will bring us definitely over the 100 million and maybe even beyond that. So I'm quite excited to build like the leading platform, the leading player in the space. And if you look at the US, like there is Zoom Info, they have grown from like 100 mil to like now 1 billion in ARR. So um, they're already at the next phase. So it's very, I'm very confident that we can replicate what they have do, done in the US uh, over here in Europe. And it's interesting you mentioned Zoom Info because Greyhill, your investors were also previously invested in Zoom Info. I think they exited a couple of years ago. So are they, in a way, imparting some of their knowledge and insights and experiences from growing that business and helping you to do something similar, maybe even something more exciting based on those learnings? Most definitely. So yes, we have like Derek Shuttle, who is the chairman of our board. He was the CEO of Zoom Info prior to the acquisition. So he has like a lot of insights and that's kind of like our unfair advantage, <laughs> so to speak. So you always need one of those. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm talking about copying someone, but it's like a great compliment if you like draw inspiration from a very successful company. And Henry Schuck and his team have uh, done tremendously well uh, in that space, defining the category and also like building best practices and growing like the team. So we are definitely looking at them and with Gratil as the original investor in Zoom Info, 
I feel like this is uh, also a very cool time to to also get uh, at least some ideas around how to produce that growth. And I actually feel like that having Graytail as an investor from the early days of Zoom Info is even more helpful. So because we are quite in the in the same phase, and they, I don't, don't know if you know that Gary, but they merged Discover Org and Zoom Info back then. And we are now merging Echoboard and Leadfeeder. So it also was a merger, basically. But they then adopted the, the Zoom Info name after like being merged uh, from, from the Discover Org site. So it's like history repeating itself. But hopefully, like the European market always is like three to five years behind the US. So I, I think it's the right time now. Exactly. It's interesting. I didn't know that there was also a merger involved in the creation of Zoom Info. So that's, uh, that's an interesting additional uh, insight. You mentioned your unfair advantage. Let's go back in time to when you didn't have an unfair advantage, to when you went out and decided, I'd like to become a software entrepreneur. So walk me through that. When and why did you take on that uh, career or life life path? I'm a very bad employee, so to speak. So. I actually founded my first company when I was still in, in high school. So I was 16 and it was the time when I was strapped on cash. So I wanted to get computer games for free. So I built out this website where I tested computer games and, and video games. And I asked those companies to send me the games for free. And they did, <laughs> which I liked. So I played the games. But then after a while, I noticed that there is a, a box of like 80 games now sitting on my floor. I don't have the time to test them all. So I brought in all my friends and, and then later uh, colleagues from the university into, and then somehow like suddenly stumbled into this kind of entrepreneurial when suddenly I sold ads on my on my website. And this grew then to be Portable Gaming, which is uh, one, still one of the leading mobile gaming networks in, in Germany at its peak, like millions of monthly visitors and 250,000 members of the community, 25 staff and so on. So this was my first venture and I sold this to um, Freenet, which is a big ISP in Germany. And then I started more in the B2B space with a company called Pressbox. Uh, so I met my then mentor, Rainer Perlmel, who was head of a publishing company. And um, I went to him and said, well, I have this idea around this press release distribution portal, much like PR Newswire or Business Wire is, uh, but for Germany and then for the IT and, and industry spaces, like tech stuff. So uh, we built this platform and like after two or three years, this portal, this SaaS service back then, uh, was already bigger than uh, the entire revenue of the publishing house. So we spun it off to become like UNN, which is called United News Network. And then we sold this to a PE. And after that, I started basically with Echobot. So it's my Third venture, I had one failed one in between, so I don't want to hide that. It's a mobile advertising company, which failed and didn't work out. It was like a one-year intermezzo. Now, Echobot is my third and most successful and biggest startup for now. So I kind of like had always this gene of being a, an entrepreneur, but I really also finished my university uh, just for my mom. So I have a degree. <laughs> <laughs> I have a soft landing if uh, this doesn't work out. <laughs> <laughs> so if you could give your 20-year-old or perhaps even your 16-year-old self some advice, this is my back to the future question. If you could go back in time and speak to a younger version of you and give yourself some great advice based on the lessons you've learned since, what would that advice be? 
That's a very cool question, Gary, because actually when I was 20, I was really thinking about, as I mentioned, canceling university and going to Silicon Valley. It was the time of the Web 2.0. All the social networks were hitting it off. Mark Zuckerberg is actually born in the almost the same day than me. And it was like, well, he's so much more successful. I should be. I, maybe I'm in the wrong place. So actually, I, I think if I went to the US and, and, and did that, maybe I would be at a different place. But I'm not complaining. I mean, I, I chosen to stay here. Um, obviously, I met my wife. I have a, a small kid now. So I'm, I'm very happy in life. And I'm very excited about the new opportunity. And now, to some degree, I think I finally made that leap to be an international company and to have an international investor and talk in English. And this is now the dream basically replicated that I didn't get when I decided not to move to the US. It worked out, but maybe it would have worked out faster. But to answer you back to the future question, uh, I would say don't be afraid of that change because usually it's a good thing. <laughs> and you also, you mentioned quite early on in your career, you had a mentor Walk me through that. Have you had other mentors and coaches who help you when times are challenging? How have you found these individuals? Are you working with anyone right now beyond the people inside the PE firm who are obviously giving you a lot of coaching? I would say the first mentor was my mom. So she had like a real estate office. So she was a broker for the longest time. And she really taught me in the very beginning what it means to be self-employed and like responsible for your own firm and I watched her basically a lot and then she also helped me to file my first invoices for that ad space that I sold on the gaming side and so on but then later Reiner who was the, the founder of the publishing company he really taught me basically a lot about like business entirely because uh, sadly like in university I mean I studied computer science and economics like a mixture of the things but still you don't like learn the basics of how to run a company, how to invoice people, what it, what it means to run the day-to-day. -day. So I learned a lot there, basically. But then also, Janis, my co-founder, is one of the most clever people that I, I know. So, so we had very tough dis discussions like every now and then, but always, even if we fought a lot around, uh, around like the content of the uh, decisions, we always went back uh, afterwards, like uh, hugging and having a beer. And like, there was never a time when we not uh, couldn't like get to an agreement that we only want the best for the company. And this is why we are so passionate about like these kinds of decisions. Now I get the same feeling with Pekka and the team. So this is quite a nice experience that we could coach each other in a way. But yeah, obviously, like now with the international piece, I, I look very much to Great Hill and Derek, specifically the chairman, who has had a lot of experience in the past. <laughs> so you've now learned how to do virtual hugs with your rest of your leadership team. Now, you mentioned in a recent LinkedIn post that 10 years ago, you came up with a mantra to keep you focused on what's really important. And so there are three sentences in this mantra, inspire people why to do the job educate people how to do the job and enable people to do their very best work. So certainly these are admirable aims, but how do you ensure that not just you, but also your team follow these guiding principles every day? You have to have a very strong culture, basically, which is about trust. So you want to enable people, as I said, in these kind of mantras that if you don't trust somebody uh, to do the right thing, then somehow you should think about if they are fit for the role or if they should be on the team at all. So if you don't trust your people as a leader, then you have 
a problem like in the first place. But then also, if you want to like really uh, follow that um, that sentence, then you have to shape the environment. I found this to be a very effective way of managing change and also to grow some company because it's hard to change people, right? But if you can steer them in the right direction by changing the environment, might be to give them the right kind of KPIs or to ask the right things about them or to have them come up with their own solutions to difficult problems that they then own and that they invented. I feel like this is a much more better working approach to leadership than just to go out there and tell them what to do. So this is like kind of like what I what I thought about one night when I came up with some ideas around like how to grow the company more effectively. And what's something about your industry that has really surprised you lately? What's uh, surprised or even shocked you over the last few months or last few quarters? For most industries, like COVID was uh, a very big struggle in the beginning because of the uncertainty. Not every industry was hit, obviously, except maybe from travel and um, hospitality. But then to a lot of businesses, this was actually a tremendous growth boost. So they had to, they were forced to look at their processes to digitalize certain areas of their business and to really look out for tools, for data, for solutions and partners to help them get to the next step. And me coming from like the German specifically or a more European background, I was quite surprised that after such a long time of, of companies struggling to, to go the digital route, suddenly it worked. So suddenly somehow home office was not a problem. Suddenly video chat was not a problem. Suddenly like digital tools were adopted quite swimmingly. Whereas like years before we have been pushing hard to, to make people adapt that. So this really surprised me how fast that pace of change occurred. I mean, you can see this on LinkedIn and the activity of people in digital spaces like that at this moment. So this really blew, blew up. And I feel like this is a tremendous success and, and, and a really big step forward because historically, the, the most industries have been quite traditional, specifically here in Germany. And now they have made the move and made the jump or the leap over the fence. And now I think there is a lot of opportunity coming, which before maybe was a little bit uh, prohibited. So this really surprised me. Bastian, thank you so much for joining me on the Startup to Scale Up game plan. And I'd like to wish you and the whole team huge success leveling up and leveraging your unfair advantage. Thank you so much, Gary, for having me. And if you know cool people that might be willing and able to join our mission and jump on that rocket ship, we would be very happy to have them. So thanks a lot. I shall keep my eyes and ears wide open for that. This episode of the Startup to Scale Up Game Plan was brought to you by Alpina Search. Head over to www.alpinasearch.com for advice on scaling your technology startup and recruiting high-impact senior talent.